Hey, this is Mark Sperling, listening to uh, Rebel Radio. Fuck you, Josh. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh -huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. I'm your host, Josh Levine, and my guest today is Mark Sperling. He is uh, an important connector in the world of action sports and youth culture. Mark's the founder of Group Y, which are events happening all over Southern California, and I think I think in other places, too, where he's, he brings speakers who are experts in, in youth marketing to talk about what they do. Uh, there's also a lot of Group Y content you can find online. He was also the programmer of Complex Conversations, which was, I think, a really interesting part of ComplexCon last year. Uh, and he does the Agenda Emerge series as part of the Agenda Fashion Trade Show. So Mark's going to give us some of the lessons he learned working for Tony Hawk, um, helping to launch the Warp Tour and, and his marketing role at Red Bull. Um, and then he's going to tell us kind of how he, he just started doing these events as really just a group of friends talking and telling stories. And now I think it's turned into a really amazing uh, event series and business. Great lessons here for Mark. Um, for you marketers, he's going to explain why it's not enough to just be authentic. But in order to do that right, you have to really understand your audience on a deep level. And he'll give you some, some tips on how to do that. Right after this, our EDM.com track of the week. our edm.com track of the week that was g-rex and Borcroc with a track called descent that's on the pantheon label go to soundcloud.com slash we are pantheon for more just like it and right now let's get into my interview with mark sperling I want to do this a little bit different because, um, you know, I, I do want to kind of dig into your journey okay. as an entrepreneur, but but I also think like, I just want to learn from you. Like, I think you have some really interesting stuff to teach because you've had this yeah. amazing career yeah. um, that spans not only music, but action sports and events and kind of the breadth of what we'd consider youth culture mm -hmm. in ways that uh, a lot of people don't haven't kind of been involved in as many parts of that as you have. Cool. So anyway, that's a long way of saying thanks for doing this. Perfect. All right. Thanks. Um, uh, so I always like to kind of start back at the beginning, though. Mm -hmm. And so um, how did you, well, even as a kid, like, were you just super into music? Was that, like, yeah. or were, were, you, were you an early skater? Or like, what was? Yeah, I, I pretty much, I grew up down in San Diego. That's wearing my San Diego hat here. Right. Uh, but uh, during that time, I was kind of immersed in the whole kind of beach culture. Um, you know, you have, I would go surfing, bodyboarding, wherever it may be. Um, yeah. Had all the skate parks around us. So it was during that area where you had the Del Mar <coughs> Skate Ranch. Um, we had a place called Oasis that was around the corner. So I got to see guys that are icons like mm -hmm. Tony Hawk and Soy and all them gator just at the prime and skiing them skate every weekend type yeah. of thing. So it was really cool to be in that time there. Um, in San Diego, we were kind of musically in this weird little void 
down there because LA had all the cool right. things happening. So, you know, during nights I would sit there between my radio trying to see if I could pick up KMET or uh -huh. KLOS or any of uh -huh. those stations. And uh, that's kind of where I kind of heard punk. I got to hear, you know, heavy metal, yeah. all that stuff. And then what yeah, was your first, what was the first music that like you felt like this is my music? I think it was punk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is there know, a song you remember that like stood out? Uh, listening to Black Flag, yeah. um, definitely Sex Pistols were a big thing. Clash has always been a big one for me. But then also a lot of like those OC bands, so the Adolescence and the Social Distortion. Mm -hmm. um, Social D has always been one of my favorites. I think that's, you know, it's it's been interesting to see those guys throughout the years to kind of survive, especially Mike Ness and those totally. them. Uh, but yeah, I think it was always about punk, and that's when I, when I first heard it, I was just like, I felt free. And I just knew right then and there I could do anything with punk and yeah. kind of create my own self-expression yeah. through that. Yeah. Um, Isn't that amazing how just the song or a sound can just touch you, and it's exactly. like, it's not about the music, right? Yeah. But it's like you said, it's this, this feeling of freedom or... I, I have... I hear like that first note, that one or two notes, and all of a sudden, right then and then, it's like my head just floods with like ideas or memories yeah. or something like that, and it's just then, I just feel like I'm on a whole different like experience and adventure. When I it's hear so that. funny you say that because you know here we are in a multi-million dollar recording studio, yeah. and like you know I know we have a lot of friends who sweat over the sound of a snare drum or getting the mix just right or whatever, and you know on the one hand like. I think you can appreciate that attention to detail. Yes. On the other hand, like, in some ways, none of that matters. Yeah. Like, I remember, you know, there's songs that I could hear two notes through, you know, my shitty stock <laughs> system in my car back in the day, yep. and it would just transport you to another world, right? And you, you don't even need the whole song or all the fidelity or all that. Like, all of a sudden, you're just feeling whatever you're feeling the first time you heard that or, or whatever. True, so yeah. true. I, I think that for me just created who I was as a person. And then when I got to see the bands live, that just brought the experience to a whole nother level and just yeah. that energy and the rawness of it all and seeing these guys just pushing it out there and seeing the the audience kind of react back was, to them. What was the first show you went to? Uh, it was kind of funny. I almost got dragged to the Us Festival uh -huh. when I was a kid. My neighbors oh, wow. tried to st steal me away without my parents knowing. And to this day, I regret that decision. I yeah, didn't get to go. I bet. But the big one was, it was a thing down in San Diego called the KGB Sky Show. Okay. And the headliner was Def Leppard. Yeah. And they had Uriah Heep, Eddie Money, but wow. then they had this opening band that nobody in uh, San Diego heard who they were, and it was Motley Crue. No way. And it, and it, it was like about, I think, 50,000 plus people in uh, Jack Murphy Stadium down there, and it was Def yeah. Leppard's biggest show. And we kind of snuck our way up to the front, and right then and there, I was just like, I was hooked. Yeah. I'm like, I want to be involved in this world in one way or another. Yeah. And what was the first way that you got involved in that? Um, a little bit in high school, I was like producing events. Okay. Um, I used to go to a lot of shows. Uh, this guy named Tim Mays, who owns the Casbah down in San Diego, uh -huh. he was uh, kind of like the concert promoter down there, and he would put shows down in Tijuana. He would take yeah. over these old like venues and YMCA. So, going to all these shows, you know, I would sneak out of the house. Sorry, mom and dad, and uh, go down there and see all these different bands, and it was amazing. And then. Um, as I went along and then in college, I got involved with our student government and helping them produce the festivals and the concerts. Cool. And it was down at UC Irvine. Yeah. And it was really cool because at that time I got to work with bands that are on the up, coming up. And then we also got to work with Golden Voice because yeah. they were like our promoter back then. So sure. meeting Paul Tillette and those guys back in the day. Yeah. But uh, it was a fun time. It was one of those things where like our house bands were social distortion, no doubt, um, a band by a name of Mighty Joe Young, they ended up oh, being yeah. Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah. Um, so it was really cool to kind of meet these guys at the early stages and just see them constantly grow. I probably came to one of your shows. Like I remember when I moved to LA, one of the first shows I went to was The Untouchables yep. at UCI, and uh, that was that was awesome. I loved it. Yeah. That, Untouchables was one of my favorite bands back in the day. Is that right? right? Yeah.
during that period, it was awesome. I mean, we got to put on some amazing shows. I remember we did one with like, I think it was the 120 Minutes MTV thing, and mm -hmm. uh, PIL was the headliner oh, with cool. like Blind Melon and a couple others, and um, getting to meet Johnny Rotten and actually getting kind of in a mini battle with him backstage because of right. uh, some issues, which I won't talk about. Sure. But uh, yeah, it was an incredible experience. Oh, that's so cool. And I was hooked right then and there too. Yeah, yeah, I bet. So you knew at that point this is going to be my path. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I knew it was going to be music. I knew it was going to be like events, uh -huh. um, creating that experience, something that would be unique. Yeah. And then I was always still drawn back to like action sports and that whole lifestyle. Sure. But it, I mean, at that time, like, I, I don't, you know, I think for most of us, I don't want to speak for you, but it, yeah. it seemed like action sports didn't feel like a business. No, like, not at that. at that point, right? Like it, we weren't, I know there were, there were some skate brands and whatever, but you know, this is pre X games, pre, you know, Huck jam, pre like, yeah, pre everything, yeah. Every, all of that. Right. So yeah. it was really just kind of a hobby that a few guys sort of made a living on. Yeah. I remember one event I went to back in the day and it was actually, it was funny. It was right next to where I was um, staying at Irvine was um, vision. Skateboards had yeah. a big uh, skate contest, and it was like I think the Red Hot Chili Peppers were playing up on the skate ramp, and you know you had Hosoi and Tony Hawk and all these other guys skating there, and it was like a big time event. And the arena was packed, people were screaming, and right then and there, it just kind of clicked with me. I'm like, wow, you can marry the two worlds together and create yeah. this ultimate experience, and people are just going to be sitting there and talking about it for decades on yeah. afterwards. And it was yeah. just kind of like, oh, my two loves in one place this is perfect. Yeah. So, and then am I correct that your your first job out of college was MTV? Uh, yeah, it was, I worked for them. It was really kind of funny. They didn't really have an LA office out here. So I worked on their, I think at the time it was like Beach MTV. Mm -hmm. And so I worked with a guy named Michael Bloom and we went around and we did these little kind of um, interstitial commercials. We would do, meet up with some celebrities. Um, I remember one of the first ones I did was with uh, Will Smith. Uh -huh. And um, it was great. It was one, and I'm like, yeah. oh my God. Jazzy Jeff. Jazzy Jeff, yeah. yeah. And so meeting those two guys back when it was like the show was just kind of in its prime. And That's cool. Yeah, so we would do these little things and then eventually MTV started growing out here on the West Coast. Right. And yeah, so it was, it was fun. It was kind of cool to see how the behind the scenes on doing TV production. So what was the feeling? Like, you know, I, we're about the same age and, and I, you know, I got into the music business during college yeah. and right after and you know, I remember this feeling in L.A., especially like in L.A. in the hip hop scene that like there was no stopping us. Yeah. Right. Like things were just going to get keep getting bigger for everybody. Guys that I knew were going from like interns to, you know, stars or, or executives, you know, felt like overnight or whatever. Right. Yeah. Like all that stuff was happening and the music was getting bigger and the, just the whole culture was just growing so quickly that you really felt like you were part of something. Yeah. Um, was, was that the sort of, is that the same feeling? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I felt that same way. I think it was one of those things where I felt like everyone was kind of connected in one way or another. There was this kind of group of us all the same age, just kind of going up the ranks. Yeah. Um, it was really cool because I got to work with a lot of the record labels back at that day and meeting all these different people. And to this day, they're still my good friends. And yeah. it's great to see them kind of grow and progress. Some of them stayed in the industry. Some of them kind of branched off, especially when technology started growing. They started yeah. launching their own things. And so it, it, I think it was an incredible time. I think it's one of those ones, a unique time that I haven't really seen replicated until probably now. Yeah. Uh, with this next generation that's coming around. And it, it was one of those ones where I felt like we all supported each other. We were all there to kind of, you know, like, people were a friend of a friend. They would introduce you. You mm -hmm. would all, you mm -hmm. know, you guys go to shows. Everyone would see the same people. Yeah. We go to totally. South by South, by, South by Southwest. And back at that time, it was only about music. Right. And it was all of us just going to see the bands that we loved. Yeah. So you said that you've seen that again now. Like, yeah. do, do you, is that, where do you see that happening? Um, I think I see it a lot in streetwear. Mm -hmm. um, I see it a lot in technology, uh, especially up in the Bay Area, even down here in LA, mm -hmm. in um, kind of that whole Silicon Beach community. Um, I, I see people that kind of started off together. Maybe they worked at a bigger company. They were at a lower level position and they branched off and did their own thing. And right. so I, I love that. I love seeing that kind of joint community kind of forming and then everyone kind of helps each other 
succeed yeah. on in life, yeah. much like it was for us when we all started out. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what, what's the biggest lesson you took from, from MTV? Um, I think it was just having an open mind, really, you know, and really kind of enjoying the experience that you're in. And don't be surprised on who you meet. And I think the other part, too, is when you meet celebrities, they're just like you. Right. You know, they, as long as you're yourself with them, they're going to be the same way back. And I think that's one of those things, like, I never would put these people on pedestal mm -hmm. from that point forward. And been, Was that a, was there a moment where you got that? Like, was there... I think it was actually meeting Will Smith. Yeah. Yeah, out of all people, it was kind of random. Just, yeah. he was super cool, super down to earth, you know, and it's like, he didn't have any bodyguards with him, really, and he mm -hmm. was just being himself. So, thanks, Will. <laughs> Appreciate it. Learned a big life lesson. Will listens to the show, so... Oh, cool. I'll okay. definitely hear yeah. that. Um, yeah, no, that's that's really cool. Yeah, so, and it's... I'm glad I learned that experience because later on in life, I would get to meet... In my line of work, I would get to work with people that I looked up to, sure. musicians, actors, celebrities, in one way or another, and I just would treat them the same way that I would expect them to treat me back. Yeah. Um, so then I know you spent a bunch of time working with Tony Hawk. Yeah. Uh, that was a fun one. That was, um, we had this idea in our head, a lot of us, that how we can bring together all these different um, sports and I throughout the years I've worked for a number of different companies. I worked for Transworld Skateboarding Magazine mm -hmm. doing their events marketing and so I got to see the ebb and flow of how the industry goes and sure I think it was really cool to work with Tony because I looked up to him even though he's only about a year or two older than me mm -hmm. I looked up to him since I was you know 15 years old or 14 years old and to finally get to work with him a friend of mine uh, Carl Harris brought me on board and we just said, hey, wouldn't it be great if we can bring in motocross and BMX and skateboarding into a concert environment and create like the thing that we've always wanted to do, something different from the X Games, something different from the state fairs that all these guys were doing their demos at. Right. And really kind of treat these guys like the rock stars that they are. And so that's where um, eventually we kind of came up with this concept, a million dollar skate ramp, which mm -hmm. Tony had conceptualized. And uh, we created this thing called the Boom Boom Huck Champ Tour. Mm -hmm. And it, it was an amazing thing. It was, uh, I called it, it was like Ringling Brothers Circus meets the X Games meets, um, you know, Metallica or something like that, a concert type yeah. of scenario. And we yeah. basically packaged it and took it all over the U.S. and sold out all over the place. And we brought on some bands. We had people like Good Charlotte, Social Distortion, Devo, Offspring, mm. a number of them coming on board. biggest names in action sports uh, from Kerry Hart to Tony to uh, Dave Mira who passed as mm -hmm. recent and a uh, number of others and it was incredible one of yeah. the most incredible experiences yeah. to see come to life I mean you know now like that seems like obvious yeah right um, but you know how, how big like go back to the thought process like when that visions coming together like how big a risk did all that feel like Oh, it, it was huge. I think it, the nice thing about it was the people that were all involved, we all have been in, seen other things throughout yeah. our lifetime. So, like, for example, for myself, when I worked at Transworld, which was the publisher of Skateboarding mm -hmm. and Snowboarding Magazine, we were trying to make sure that this culture of skateboarding or this lifestyle was existing. So we would put on this thing called the Triple Crown of Skateboarding or the World Championships of Skateboarding and try to elevate it. And then the X Games came along. Right. And the X Games was so much about the competition sure. side of things. So for us to kind of go about this, we're like, we knew it was going to be a huge risk. And we actually, it was funny, we partnered with a Jim Gierno, mm -hmm. who at the time was the manager for No Doubt yeah. and Social Distortion and such. And so, you know, we're like, okay, well, we have somebody from the music world helping us. Right. And so he understands how so to do touring. Yeah. Right. He knew all the promoters and all the stuff. And so I was kind of brought on board to do more of the marketing and the promotion aspect of it and bringing yeah. on the sponsors. And... It was scary. I mean, it was one of those things. I remember calling up promoters and trying to explain to them, like, how do you package this? I'm like, okay, pretend this is like a circus. Pretend this is also like a concert. Right. Um, and then you then try to promote through skate parks and skate shops and all this stuff. And it was like, they would scratch their heads. And a lot of, a lot of promoters were scared. Yeah. 
But I think once they took the risk, they knew. They're like, oh my God, this was incredible. And uh, it was great to see it every night. I mean, we had pyrotechnics. We had, um, somebody said we had more trucks, semi-trucks than what Metallica had going out there. Um, cool. And it was, it was amazing. One of the most amazing experiences. And I know Tony ended up doing it for a number of years afterwards. And sure. It's kind of disappeared. Yeah. What'd, so. you, what'd you learn from Tony? Um, perseverance. Sure. Um, never hearing the word no. Don't take it for what it's like, uh, the base of it. You know, definitely try to find solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing I admire the most about Tony and a lot of other guys that he surrounds himself with is that he stuck to the one thing he loved doing, and that was skateboarding. And he wanted to be the best. And he constantly pushed himself. And I mean, I've seen him time and time again just completely destroy himself. You know, um, I, one of the best examples is I remember I was there when he was doing the 900 mm-hmm. at the X Games, and mm-hmm. I left two minutes before he actually pulled it off, which to this day I regret. <laughs> but, uh, I just, but just seeing somebody <clears throat> push his body, yeah. you know, 15 times or 16, whatever amount of times he did to try to do something like that. And he didn't care about the cameras and he didn't care about all the people. It's like he had that thing in his mind that he wanted, he was determined to make that happen and he knew he could do it. Yeah. So it's incredible. And I think the longevity of his career is to this day, I mean, he's an icon. Sure. People from that may not know anything about skateboarding know yeah. who Tony Hawk yeah. is. Sure. So yeah, I mean he's a he's the Michael Jordan yeah of the sport for sure. So and I, I think because of him, the other thing that he's very compassionate about, he makes sure that everybody else in that sport comes along for the ride and benefits from it in some way. So when he had his video game, he was helping other skateboarders come on board, and he you know they ended up becoming very wealthy because of it. Sure. And you know he always tries to make sure that skateboarding looks positive in everything that he does, whether it's on TV shows, advertisements, um, you know, even appearances at the White House, mm-hmm. things like that with the president. So, yeah. So what, do you, what is, um, what's the difference that you see between, between music and, and sports in terms of uh, community? Like, I, you know, yeah. hearing you talk, you know, one of the things that stands out is like, you know, the X Games has won, sort mm-hmm. of, sort of, right? In the sense of, like, uh, what they did is they took this culture and translated it for a mainstream audience. Yeah. Right? That ESPN understands the big mass media game and how to do that. And, and that's about competition, right? Because yeah. that falls in line with the Super Bowl and, the, and like, what mainstream audiences are used to seeing <clears throat> in that kind of programming right and so you know I guess what I wonder I guess I've jumped onto another question but I I wonder like um, how much when that happens like how much of the the culture survives versus it just becoming uh, you know another mainstream sport or, or entertainment activity I mean I remember when like, for example, when the X Games came along and I was in some of those initial meetings when ESPN came to us when I was at Transworld and said, hey, we got this amazing concept. We're going to do skateboarding. We're going to do this and that. We're also going to do kayak bungee jumping. And, right. and you know, they started naming off all these yeah. other sports. I sure. remember on the winter side, was it the shovel racing? Right. Ice shovel racing. And it was like, we just sat there and first thing out of our mind, like, this is whack. This yeah. is the dumbest thing. This is non-authentic to what we are about. Yeah. And we really kind of pushed back on it. And I, I know a lot of the athletes did too. And I remember hearing stories of everyone when they went to that first competition, he's just going, I don't know if this is gonna work. You know, this is kind of hokey and the course yeah. looks stupid and the colors. And so, but I think eventually over time, I give credit to ESPN for actually eventually listening to the athletes, having the athletes have a little bit more say. It took some time yeah. because I know ESPN really treated it like a, it was a made for TV type of event. And it did a lot of great things. I mean, it helped out so many of the athletes and such. Um, Mm -hmm. As for did it take away from the culture, I don't think that that will ever happen. I think these sports and the people that are involved in it, regardless of what sport it is, it's who they are. It's they're passionate about it. They Mm -hmm. live it. They breathe it every day. Yeah. They don't care if it is on TV. They don't care if. You know, there's thousands and thousands of posers out there trying to pretend they're skateboarding and wearing right. Thrasher shirts everywhere, you know, yeah. stuff. Um, people are going to love it and do it. And so there are some that cared about it. And it was interesting because at a time, I felt like the only people that really cared about watching these athletes on the X Games were the brands that sponsored mm-hmm. the athletes 
and you know Joe Schmo out in the middle of Omaha, right? Who maybe had, was disconnected, yeah. you know? Or the funniest was being on an airplane and sitting next to somebody and kind of explaining my job. It was like a grandmother, and she goes, "Oh, I know who Tony Hawk is. I right. saw him on the X Games." Yeah. And right then and there went, "Oh my God! All right." Yeah. It's now transcend. It's totally. it's now become something else. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think it'll ever happen. I don't think it will ever destroy, crush, no matter, you know, I think a lot of people are saying the same thing now that these sports are going to be in the Olympics. Mm -hmm. People are, that kind of same argument is starting to come up again. And, sure. and I tell people it's not, don't worry about it. We're, we're, they're going to live on. Yeah. Yeah. If anything, it'll help bring, you know, it'll bring some more outside funding into it. It'll bring some, maybe some more participants, but yeah. don't worry about it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an interesting thing. I think when you're in it, it's easy to worry about what you're giving up. Yeah. Right. And and uh, and probably some of that is healthy. Yeah. But but I think also like it's kind of what you're saying before about the um, right things. Something can be one thing and another thing. Yeah. Right. Something can be mainstream and also kind of underground. Right. Like exactly. and, and so, so, they call it, they call it the core. Yeah. 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 Hey, I hope you're enjoying this one. If you're if you're feeling the sports theme, go back in the Rebel Radio archives on iTunes or SoundCloud. Look up the episode where I had the professor from the Ball Up League, used to be N1. Um, dude is a YouTube star where he, he schools people on the playground uh, wearing a Spidey suit. And he's he's made quite of a, a, a name for himself on YouTube. And, and he's just got some great stories about kind of living in the world of alternative sports and how he's made a really interesting career for himself. So go check out The Professor after you finish this interview right here with Mark Sperling. Um, but, I mean, I've heard the argument time and time again. Whenever there has been some people feel like that are kind of passionate about that sport, they see this adversity coming in. Right. So I remember when Nike, you know, a lot of people like, oh, Nike's coming into skateboarding, and that's sure. the end of it. And I'm like, people yeah. don't realize Nike's coming into the sport seven or eight times, and they <laughs> failed miserably every time. And right. they finally listened and finally did something right, and they're helping, actually. So, the, the, so let's jump to that. Like, what are brands, I know now, and I want to talk about, you know, Group Y and, okay. and everything you're doing, but but um, but you have this expertise in, in working with brands now in this space, right? Yeah. And so... What, what makes the difference? What, why does Nike get it right the eighth time uh, when they didn't before? Or more broadly, like what are brands doing right and wrong? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've been very fortunate to work with some amazing brands throughout the years. And it's been, you know, it got to the point where I was, I got to kind of pick which ones I did want to work with just based upon conversations, having with them, seeing the direction they were going. So with that, I think... The first and foremost, I see the brands that succeed are the ones that listen. Yeah. They're not going into it going, okay, we need to meet this bottom line. We need to meet these objectives. Um, let's just go in and buy our way into this subculture, mm -hmm. regardless if it's sports, music, art, whatever it may be. And so when they go into that, you realize that they're going to have a short shelf life. They're going to be in there for a year or two. They're going to say, oh, we don't see results. We're out. Yeah. What's what's the next new fad or trap you know thing for us to jump totally. into? So, I, I kind of avoid companies like that. And mm -hmm. if I hear those conversations like right off the bat with them, I'll I'll end it right there and be like, yeah, this is not something I really want to get involved in. The ones that do succeed, like I mentioned, are the ones that listen. They're the ones that like actually go back and maybe talk to their own employees, talk to their customers, get the feedback of the retailers, and find out what is really going on. And then finding out exactly what works and what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Finding out. What are some of the challenges that are going on out there? Um, in Nike's case, I think for them, they, for past years, they always looked at it as like, well, we'll just take what we did in basketball. We'll just take what we did in one of the traditional sports and we'll just plug and play it right into, yeah. you know, we'll use the same skews and just change around <coughs> a couple of things. Right. And it didn't work. You know, a couple of times it looked like it was going to happen and then it failed. Mm -hmm. um, I think when they finally got it right is when they actually did start listening to the retailers. They started listening to the skaters. They actually started talking to people within that world. Um, and, you know, they changed the product specifically based upon the athlete's needs. Mm -hmm. They went to the retailers and retailers were saying, hey, look, we're faltering right now. We're, 
we're having a hard time. We're not having, you know, we're, we have a lot of competition from some of the big box stores or the Amazons of the world. So, you know, Nike comes along and creates these kind of special limited edition runs for some of these shops and selling out that limited run pays for these shops rents sure. for a number of months and kept the, the doors open. So, yeah. you know, I felt like they gave a lot back to community. I knew there was a huge backlash within that, the skate community, for example, mm -hmm. um, from that. And so I, I give kudos to those guys. I really believe Skate did a, you know, Nike did a great job. It's really unbelievable to see like, that's the one segment now that's actually gone on, yeah. become its own thing, uh, Nike SB. And yeah. it, it survived all the other attempts that they did in some of the other sports. Right. Um, so it's really cool to see that. It's funny to see some of the other skate brands some of the other skate shoe brands sit there and point fingers and go, well, you know, Nike should not be in the sport, right. but yet you're seeing their business starting to falter because they weren't nimble enough. They weren't listening yeah. enough. Um, so I give credit to them, you know, and then there's, there's brands like Vans who have gone up and down throughout the years. I mean, I, it was awesome to kind of see them go through this kind of path, this course. I mean, I've been involved with Vans in one way or another throughout the years. Sure either helping them produce their events or being involved with them with the beginning of the Warp Tour and such. And so seeing that the people there and the dynamic and really kind of just going back to their roots and realizing that, you know, like, why do we need to change ourselves to be something we're not? Let's just go back to who we are, yeah. how we started, go back to our community, help the community, help the people that supported us from day one mm -hmm. and go from there. And it's like, you know, I think the other day I heard they were the number one VF brand Oh, under really? that umbrella, yeah, yeah, beating out North Base and some of these other larger name brands. And yeah. so congrats to them. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, but the kind of the second part of that question, though, is I feel like there's a lot of brands out there that just they're trying. They're trying too hard. They're just not going about it. And I always keep using the word authenticity and authentic. And I know it's kind of like a buzzword. And I feel like everywhere I go, speakers sure. at conferences use it and it, yeah it, I, everything's authentic yeah and i joke around i'm like it's turning into a drinking game now it's like you know oh here we go he said it again totally but there's no meaning behind it and i feel like the one thing that a lot of brands outside of our um of our industry could learn from within the music world in the action sports world is like how they can be authentic yeah to the culture how they can help support it how they can you know what is their true dna when it comes to that and so that's why when I work with a brand, I mean, I've worked with the Targets of the world and Tylenol and mm -hmm. just some bizarre brands you would never think would want to get involved more in the youth culture and, and working with them. That's one of the first things I tell them. So, so like, let's talk about that. Like, what is, let me figure it out. <laughs> okay. So what does authentic mean in that context, right? Because yeah. I think it, it's easy you know, we, we sort of know it when it's missing. Yep. Right. But, you know, I've spent a lot of time talking with brands, you know, and I think most of them, if you kind of get down to what they want, it's just to sell more shit. Of course. Right. And yeah. so that's their authentic yeah. truth, right? Is <laughs> like, we need to hit some numbers. Yep. And so, um, so what, what does that mean, like, for a brand to sort of be authentic in how they approach action sports or music? Yeah, it, it's funny. It's, you know, as I started kind of diving more and more into this kind of topic, and um, I'll give a backstory here in a minute about that, but it's really something that's very subjective. Yeah. Nobody has a clear answer on exactly what authentic right. is, you know. Every time I kind of throw that question out to the universe and ask so many different people, leaders in their space or something like that, they mm -hmm. each have their own definition to it. And I think that's what's really unique about it. It's really exciting. It's because people view this in their own lens, in their right. own way. So when it comes to a brand, it's not just a one particular thing. Of course, the ultimate goal is to sell more product. I mean, I think that's, all, that's the only way they're gonna survive. Sure. But I, I kind of tell people like, let's reverse engineer it a little bit. Let's go back and like, let's look at it from who are you really trying to go after? Mm -hmm. What is their day-to-day -day life look like? What do they love to do? What are their passions? You know, are they on social media and things like that? And then from there, find out, does that make sense to what the brand is about? You know, right. I, I look at a lot of those, uh, you know, CPG type companies, all the products and, you know, Slim Jims of the world and stuff like that, and them trying to go after this customer and you know, right. 
one minute they're pretending to be one thing and then the next minute they're another thing and it's like you know consumers and kids they can see right through that yeah in a heartbeat yeah. and so i feel like a lot of them it's like you have to just go back understand it study it spend a little bit of time because you can only do it right the first time yeah and we've seen it time again again when i worked at um I had the good fortune of working at Red Bull mm -hmm. and managing their kind of national partnership. So in that role, I got to see how the brand works as a whole and seeing all the different segments of it. But the other part of it was I, I went out and met with a number of CEOs and CMOs of Fortune 500 brands to see how we could work with them. And it was in almost 90% of the conversations, they would all say to me like, we spend half a million, millions of dollars, whatever it may be, seven figures to try to go after the same audience that maybe Red Bull was getting, the, yeah. that elusive audience yeah. and that elusive demographic. And they would sit there and they said they failed time and time again and they couldn't understand why. They're like, we throw so much research and money and advertising and sponsoring events and this and that. We don't get it. Mm -hmm. Why do you guys succeed? What's your secret sauce? And it was one of those things I'm like, well, it's not really a secret sauce. It's just we live and breathe that lifestyle. We yeah. surround ourselves with the right people to be a part of it. And we always are trying to innovate ourselves. We're always trying to figure out ways how to kind of push the boundaries and make some things more unique and special and incredible experience for that end consumer. Yeah, I mean, when I get that and, and you know, Red Bull's my, I think it's the best brand in the world. Mm -hmm. I don't drink energy drinks, yeah. right? So. Uh, but I, but I have you know tremendous respect for what Red Bull means, yep. in in uh, in so many different communities, and you know what I've taken from watching them and talking to people is um, that they are willing to. It's kind of what you're saying about Tony. Like they work harder than everyone else. They don't spend more than everyone. No. Yeah. Right. But they work harder in terms of like people taking time out of their lives away from their desks and families and whatever to go out and be in these communities. Exactly. Right. And spend time on the weekend at an event and, you know, and listen and, and really, you know, be, be part of all that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's the part that the CPG folks as a rule, like your average marketer just won't do that. Yeah. It's not part of their, why they got into that business exactly right i remember i a few years ago i went to one of the biggest cpgs companies i won't name who they are um but you know most they had some of the most iconic brands under the thing and just walking into their office as compared to my day-to-day -day experience at red bull you can see it night and day i mean yeah. it was like khakis and you know yeah. button-up shirts and it was like everyone looked like a clone of each other there and i just sat there i'm like you guys don't know your customer you don't know what's going out there you sit yeah. there and they analyze data they sit look over spreadsheets yeah. you know they kind of get their feedback from all the key major uh shopping stores or whatever yeah. it may be uh, chains but i i just saw such a massive disconnect mm -hmm. when i was there and it just made me kind of appreciate my experience of where i worked at before and the brands that i work with yeah and i, I kind of knew right then and there i'm like you know what that's Yes, they're successful, this brand. I want, you know, this big conglomerate. Mm -hmm. But it, to me, it just like, I don't know, it just felt fake. It just felt something, I just sat there, um, I don't know the exact words for it, but I just knew it was like, you know, it, they're just, they're running this machine, I guess, or something like that. They're just sure. they're advertising to kids. Yeah, yeah. But you can tell it's just at the end result, we want to sell more product, we want yeah. to sell more product. It's nothing beneficial back to that community or the kids or the consumers. Yeah, and I think you'll hear a lot of marketers I have just yeah. kind of say like, you know, music doesn't sell this product mm -hmm. or, or uh, you know, or I'm sure the same with, with sports, right? Yeah. Like that it's, um, and it, the way I've heard it is not so much like that, therefore we shouldn't be involved, but more so that like, the, the benefits are much more nuanced, yeah. right? Which is really hard to put on a spreadsheet and deliver to a, you know, stakeholders report exactly. or, or whatever, right? I had, you know, I had opportunity recently to meet Dan Ginsburg, who is um, former CEO of Red Bull. Yeah. Um, and, 
you know, and I asked him, all of a sudden I realized I had like burning questions to yeah. ask him, right? And I, and I asked him, you know, how did you, like, how do you do what you did at a company that big? It obviously has to have so much bureaucracy and so much, right, uh, yeah. process and just all this stuff of that course. comes with being a big company. And how are you able to push through, like, doing that many cool things which are obviously not going to be measurable? Yeah. Right. And, and he kind of said, he said, you know, we knew that the way he said it was so much smarter than the way I can get it out. <laughs> but it was like, um, he said, we knew that, like, you can't do good marketing when your first concern is ROI. Yeah. And, and to me, that's such like a fundamental issue that is most marketers can just never get past that yeah the the one thing i took out of that experience was i was really blown away well first of all the culture there is very youthful i mean it was like i felt like the oldest person there yeah you know i'm like great i'm the gray hair walking yeah. around here and i'm like or I, as i joked around i felt like it was a uh, logan's run uh -huh. people remember the movie you know i'm the old man they're going to kill me off sure. here at any given moment um but the, what was so exciting about it was all these people were in in positions of empowerment and they were told that, you know what, come up with the craziest idea. Don't think of there's limitations. Yeah. You know, don't worry about budget. Don't worry about what the end result, you know, well, kind of what the end result would be was, sure. but it was more about creating an experience or creating something memorable or creating something that's going to help people's lives. And it was unbelievable. And they really kind of pushed this mindset on everybody there. And, you know, I felt like I was a bit jaded when I came in there because I worked in you know, yeah. corporate world for so long and I'm sitting there going no you can't do that that's going to cost too much money and right. this you know that's not feasible and to see the ideas come out of there were just mind-blowing and these kids would come up with some incredible things they they start off with this thing where it's just very simplistic and then if it made sense they would try to grow it yeah and from that I mean I think that's what people are so in awe from the outside seeing Red Bull like well, how do you have a guy jumping out from outer space and skydiving you know right. that came from a basic idea that felix came up with yeah. um or you know any one of the events i think it, it was really cool to see that and see this kind of evolution occur there and you know i see those people that started off that red bull go on to amazing things mm -hmm. a lot of times i've also seen them challenged because then they go out to the real world and sure. realize that no other company can't get stuff done yeah exactly yeah. you know it's they're not going to allow you to have that experience yeah, yeah or allow you to go through that thought process. So I really give them kudos for that. And I think what's really unique about it too is now that they kind of moved into this um, media house model, mm -hmm. this content thing is to kind of see those same ideas that we did as events right. now evolve. And going back to the athletes or going back to some of their influential people or some of the musicians and say, what's, what's the one thing you've always wanted to do? Mm -hmm. What's the project? Let's make it come to life. And I think that's what's so incredible about a brand like that. And I, I've seen other brands try to replicate them, sure. especially within that same energy drink space. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think there'll ever be another brand <coughs> like that that allows that. The, the only other company I ever thought about that ever did something like that was Swatch. Oh, wow. And I always felt like Swatch was like the precursor to Red Bull. Interesting. Because Swatch would sit there and make sure that they would go out and create these unbelievable memorable experience back in the 80s and the 90s yeah. and they would take care of the athletes they would take care of musicians they would treat them all like first class everything and it was just i thought wow this is incredible and then they kind of faltered for one way or another whatever the direction yeah. that they went that's so funny you say that i i kind of forgot about that i actually so that was one of the first concerts i went to was the fresh fest yes which was the it was the swatch watch fest yep. fresh festival and actually at the time I'd never heard of Swatch. I heard about the, uh, I heard about the concert first. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, you start learning about that. So, um, so I want to. Uh, so what? What was the? Why did you decide to go out on your own and start Group Y? Um, I think it was just one of those things where, well, Group Y kind of came about organically. Yeah. And um, during that time, I was kind of. I always joke around, I think I've worked for almost every company you could possibly imagine. I think I've had like 50 jobs in my lifetime. And yeah. so people are like, oh, great, you're a job hopper. But sure. there's positives, there's negatives to it also. And, um, but I think it was at that time where, for me, I had this vast array 
of connections in so many different industries. And I sat there and went, well, how's the best way for me to utilize this? Also, I was getting a number of people going, hey, can you introduce me to so-and-so at this company? Of course. So whether it was like an action sports world, they're like, hey, I really want to get involved in um, the music world or the film world, or I want to meet somebody at this particular brand outside of that culture, or vice versa. Yeah. And so it was getting to the point where there was just so many requests coming in, and I'm like, what's the best way for me to go about it? Um, and then also I realized there was like an education aspect. A lot of people that maybe started off in one industry they were starting to jump into another industry and they're like, oh my God, I don't have the skill sets yeah. for this or I don't understand how this all works. So, yeah. so basically Group Y came about organically about a little over 10 years ago. There was about five of us who all worked in entertainment or in action sports. We were all kind of executives or mm -hmm. PR marketing directors. And we just said, hey, let's meet up one night away from the trade shows, away from all the other hubbub events that are out there and just yeah. sit down, let's talk and figure out you know, what's going on with each other's lives slow things down a little bit, you know, maybe you can help me introduce me to so-and-so. And so from that, we're like, wow, this is a really cool experience. Let's do it again next month. Invite a couple of more people, invite a couple of more people to the point where it was starting to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And we're mm -hmm. like, okay, we, we got to become legitimate because our significant others are thinking we're just going out and drinking. So right. ultimately, Group Y started as a drinking group, yeah. as I tell people. Sure. Um, and then eventually we decided to say, hey, let's hold um, a panel discussion. So we brought in a couple of our friends. One was from MySpace, one mm -hmm. was from Surfer Magazine, another from Verizon, um, and another from Quicksilver. So it was kind of mixing cool. all these different worlds. Yeah. And we got like 100 plus people showed up. And, we're, and we were in this little bar down in Costa Mesa. And we're like, wow, this is really cool. And we were kind of baffled why there wasn't really something like that already mm -hmm. in our kind of different spheres yeah um, and so we're like you know let's let's go with this let's start making it happen so we started doing more and more of these we'd come up with different topics we started asking people to kind of speak on panels and then it got to the point where I kind of said this is something I enjoy you know I, I think the five of us that started we all kind of came into it not knowing what we were getting ourselves into yeah but also at the same time we're like well there's this is what I can get out of it so you were working another job at the time. yeah yeah we were all having our sure. own full-time job. So there sure. wasn't really, you know, as of just, as of six months ago, I always treated this like a hobby. Uh -huh. It was never really like a full-time thing oh, to wow. me. So and you've done 100 plus events. 152 events now. Wow. Yeah, so it's, I know. That's a hell of a hobby. Yeah, it's got yeah. a hobby. But um, it's been great. I mean, there's been times I just sat there and went, nah, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm tired of it. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I've seen a lot of people kind of copy what we've done, especially now. It's I feel like there's so many different networking organizations out yeah. there. Um, but I've been trying to figure out ways how to make us different and unique and beneficial back to our audience mm -hmm. and our communities. And it's been incredible. I mean, I think the one thing I love the most about it is there's people I've always looked up to. And I always knew they had amazing stories. You know, just like you having these people come on to your show here. Yeah. And I don't feel like they have a platform for them to talk about their life experiences and what they learned and what their, maybe their brand is doing. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, people like to talk. Mm -hmm. They want to say that kind of stuff. So you're kind of playing up a little bit on their ego mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Um, but that you realize that there's an audience out there that wants to hear it and wants yeah. to listen to them and, and take something away from it. Absolutely. So, so, you, so you talk about, you know, almost giving up or being done with it a yeah. few times. So, well, what's been the hardest day or hardest thing, and and like, and what did you do to pull yourself out of that? Um, you know, I, I constantly doubt myself. I, I guess it's always that self-esteem type thing, and I, I sit there and go, why am I doing this? Am I mm -hmm. really getting anything out of this? Um, you know, I think with Group Y, it was never about the money. It was mm -hmm. never about prestige. It was just more about, for me, I always love giving back, yeah. and I always want to help people um, succeed in their own careers. Sometimes that also, on the flip side, it challenges me because maybe my career is not going in the sure. direction I want it to go, but yeah. it doesn't matter. I kind of look, put that first. And so I sit there and kind of question, am I really, is this really the right platform to help people? Mm -hmm. Because now there are so many options out there. You know, there's anybody now can go and flip on and watch a video of their, somebody that they admire. Um, there's podcasts, there's seminars, there's, I mean, it's like people are flooded. Yeah with this stuff. Yeah. So I'm always kind of going back going, you know, let's take it down to our simplistic form. What is it the one thing that people like about our events? It's 
the networking. Mm -hmm. It's coming together over a beer. Right. I feel like 90% of the best <laughs> deals in the world have come together because of a drink or a beer or at a bar or something like that. Yeah. Or a relationship. Um, it's that first and foremost, but then having people share their stories and speak and talk and there's going to be everyone in that audience is going to come away with one thing or another yeah. that applies back to their own life or their own brand. Yeah. So for me, I need to remember that. And then I think the community that we work with that I've kind of been involved in, it's again, that's like an ebb and flow. There's you know, people come in, there's come out. There's a lot of people that are like been there since day one. Mm -hmm. um, it's really unique to go somewhere and talk to someone and go, yeah, you know, I went to this one event and so-and-so spoke and it was really incredible. And I'm like, wait, you're talking about my event. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, this thing, Y group, group right. Y or whatever. Sure. I'm like, yeah, that was me. And it, it was really cool. I mean, I think that was one of the most bizarre things that ever happened to me was when I was at Red Bull meeting with all these companies and I'd be like out in New York somewhere and somebody went, yeah, you know, we got to hear so-and-so speak. And I'm like, yeah, that was, yeah. That, that was me doing the yeah, hosting yeah. up there. And so, so great. Um, I, I think that, and then the other side too is hearing the stories from that community and them telling me about like, hey, because of you, you gave me the courage to go out and go out and just leave a job yeah. that I knew I was secure at or that, you know, that was my um, degree was in yeah. and go out what I've always wanted to do. Or I met a partner to work with or some, you know, I got a job out of your event. Or my favorite is I someone found the love of their life and they ended up getting married and having two kids from That's it. That's big. Yeah, yeah, so as we joke around, we're the match.com of uh, our industry sometimes at these events. We, we had, uh, so, you know, I get it. Like, we're, you know, we, we, we worked on Scion especially. Yeah. We had hundreds of people on the payroll all over yes. the country, like, doing stuff for us. And, a couple, and at least two of them got married. Yeah. And now have kids. And a lot of them started businesses together and, and all that stuff that they just met through doing our work exactly which is that's an awesome feeling I know. It, it's incredible I love seeing that and yeah. to me it's you know it's I guess that's what makes me stick with it yeah. you know everyone keeps saying well why aren't you a vice president of some company somewhere and doing sharing knowledge and I'm like you know what I don't think I would have the freedom and the flexibility sure. that I have yeah. and I don't know if I would get the um, that kind of self-worth and passion yeah. out of that kind of a role yeah so this being in Group Y allows me to do what I love. It allows me to kind of be involved with brands or people that I, I would like to work with. It allows me to still be involved in the music world or mm -hmm. sports or like, hey, you know what? Content creation is really cool. Let's go look in that world. Yeah. Um, technology is really unique. And so I think that's, that's cool. to me where it allows me that flexibility. Yeah. All right, well, before they kick us out of here, I okay. have a, a little speed round that I want to go through. So, yeah. Um, Go back to that uh, that eighteen year old Mark and <laughs> give him one piece of advice. Um, life will definitely have its challenges. Yeah, your everything that you thought was set in stone will definitely change and flip around. Um, I think don't go follow the straight path. Push yourself. Go to the extremes. Yeah, because I think sometimes that's where you find yourself and what you're truly about is when you challenge yourself to yourself to the absolute limits and you may be feeling fear and you're scared out of your mind, but you're gonna come away from it a better person mm -hmm. and one, having a better understanding of where your purpose is in life. Mm -hmm. Is there something you knew was true at that point that now you know is wrong? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I think uh, you know, maybe if I had stuck to one thing and one thing only, I, you know, Never know, right? Yeah, you never know. Yeah, yeah. you never know. Um, that, I mean, I've had my ups and downs yeah. like any other person. And sure. I, you know, I sit there and self-doubt myself all the time and doubted, was this the right thing to do? Um, but I never once regret it. And I think the other thing, too, is grateful for the people that I've surrounded myself with, people mm. that I've met, people that have helped me along the way. Um, I've always appreciated it. And I think people don't take it for or they take it for granted sometimes that that happens. Sure. Um, I think yeah. the other thing too is, you know, you're going to meet people along on your, this journey of life and you never know when you're going to meet them again. But I, I think for me, it's been very fortunate. You know, I, hopefully I treated them well in the beginning. Yeah. We had a mutual respect for each other and it's fun to see them again later on in life. And then our paths reconnect like you and I, maybe yeah. in some respects and Absolutely. people that we're associated with. Sure. So. 
Is there a talent that you always wished you'd had more of? Oh, jeez. Um, I I always wanted to be a musician. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and I can't play an instrument for the life of me. Maybe the clarinet, Have if I tried? go back to that again. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, I've tried. I had drums, guitars, and all that. I just realized at some point in my life, I'm like, you know what? I'm better as the person behind the scenes in that world and, sure. you know, and watching the live experience. Yeah. Um, but if you knew yeah. you could succeed at it, you'd go yeah. up on stage. Yeah. Yeah. I'd do it in a heartbeat. What, uh, what would you play? Um, drums. Yeah. I love drums. Killer. So. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, if, I, if I worked for you, if I was on the, the Group Y team, yeah. what, would I, what would I hear you say over and over? Um, I would say, you know, do what you love. Mm. You know, if you have, you know, I, I think the one thing I keep pushing to my team is be open learn new skills don't limit yourself mm -hmm. um, there are gonna be times it'll be challenging it'll be hard you know i'm gonna push you to do things but enjoy it and it, just take it all in and it you know something great is going to come from it you're yeah. going to meet that one person that maybe you know my staff that does the check-in mm -hmm. at the front counter one day they're going to maybe get the job of their dreams sure. because of somebody that they met there while checking in. And it's yeah. actually happened now, I think five or six oh, times. Wow. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. So I think it's just that, you know, it's like do whatever it takes, you know, yeah. if you want to be an you know, intern for people, do those yeah. jobs that you never thought you would, you would ever expect to do. Totally. Yeah. Who would you be most excited to learn was a fan or had been impacted by your work? Um, Actually, there was one person, and he kind of told me it a while ago, was uh, Mark Echo. Oh, cool. Yeah. and That's big. Yeah, and it was one of those things, because I remember watching him start his career. I remember seeing him down in San Diego at the 432F show yeah. that was across the street from ASR, and I For actually sure. have a photo of him, and he tripped out when I told him that. But he's just somebody I just really had a, a massive respect for yeah. through over the years. And then I finally got to work with him he got to speak at one of my events called Agenda Emerge. Mm -hmm. And just, he was just like, wow, this is cool. This is unique. This is great. And I'm sitting there going, this is the guy that's done everything. Right. And then, um, then the, I got to work with him again, just recently with ComplexCon mm -hmm. and helping put together his vision for this thing called Complex Conversations. And it was like the Ted talk of our generation yeah. that I thought, and it was yeah. one of the most amazing experience. So totally. for him to kind of give me, you know, kudos at one point yeah i was like it made mark that's huge yeah. yeah so i i have utmost respect for someone like him yeah totally i mean he's he's done you know he's taken what we all do and to the biggest stage possible exactly um and i think i told you this on the phone but you know i was so impressed with complex con and specifically the conversations because the rest of it you kind of expect yeah like a, some good music and some shopping and like cool art like I mean, I think all of that was really well done, especially the art yeah. was amazing. So it's not to minimize that, but like the part that I wasn't expecting was that there would actually be like intelligent conversations happening as part of the program. And it was great. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of been fun to see things in my life where it's like it started, I was involved in the first of yeah. type of thing. And it started off as one idea and it kind of grows and grows and grows. And yeah. so, I mean, complex co conversations came out of what we did with Agenda Emerge, right. which came out of what I was doing with Group Y. Yeah. And so, you know, and I've seen patterns like that throughout my life. Sure. Um, uh, Warp Tour mm -hmm. came out of something that I worked on called Board Aid. That oh, came yeah. out of going to the concerts and right. the vision contest and yeah. seeing that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's so, so cool. So it's kind of cool to see these things that kind of the evolution of it starting from at the very beginning and just, you never know where it's going to go. Yeah. You never know the next step. And totally. Being a part of Complex Conversations was truly a, a dream of mine yeah. to be a part of that. Nice. So what's the last great book you read? Um, actually, I just finished it the other day. It was uh, Tim Ferriss's book. Oh, yeah. The Tools of a Titan. Oh, Tools of Titans. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I'm That's not really one into all those self-help books, but I've been really impressed. Um, that book was just amazing because there was so many different people in there that I respect or I may have not heard of. And just Tim going back and asking them about the day-to-day, -day, like, what are some of the things that helped you become who you are, the yeah. routines, what are your favorite books and things like that. And I mean, that was one of the very first times in a long time that I just sit there and took notes. Right. And now I'm actually going back to reading some of those uh, books, so that, cool. those people's books. Yeah, nice. so very impressive. Um, what movie have you seen the most in your life? Uh, Citizen Kane. Nice. Yes. Um, 
I loved every aspect of it. I've got oh, that cool. thing memorized. Orson Welles, sure. I always thought it was a genius. Yeah. Um, I just really love look and feel the story behind yeah. it all. And, uh, you know, actually then going up to Hearst Castle and yeah, seeing, yeah. you know, knowing about William Hearst and stuff like that, just kind of putting it back into perspective. But right. that one, and then um, Manchurian Candidate. Oh, that's another good The one. original one, yeah. Cool. And then favorite DJ or, or, or band? that you've seen live? Um, actually, one of the most amazing live experiences, I would say two bands, was Prodigy mm. and Tool. Oh, cool. And, I, and I'll, I'll throw the Beastie Boys in there too, I like that. Um, but I love those ones. I got the fortunate to work with them on Lollapalooza yeah. and went on tour with them. So every night I got to see them and it was just, the raw energy and the craziness and yeah. like especially with prodigy you just didn't know what the hell was going to happen you thought the guys were going to leap out and attack you yeah. um so yeah it was crazy i mean out of all the shows i've seen and i've seen thousands upon thousands of concerts in yeah. every genre yeah, of course those two guys That's just really great. put it out there yeah nice awesome yeah. Well, thanks for doing this man thank this you so appreciate much fun it. I appreciate having you. How does how does everyone find you and, and Group Y online? Um, you can come to our website. It's just Group Y, the letter Y, network.com, or we're on Instagram and Twitter mm -hmm. at just Group Y. Cool. Yep. And folks should definitely come to the events. They're, yeah. They're great. We have events all over the United States and nice. going on all the time. So cool. we have a schedule on there. Awesome. Yep. Yo, that was my man, Mark Sperling. Shout out to Mark. Thanks for coming through. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. I know I did. Um, make sure you hit us on Twitter or Facebook and leave us a comment or leave us a review on iTunes. We'll take that one as well, as long as it has five stars. Try to see if you can give us six stars. We'd appreciate it. Uh, most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.